Hello, and welcome to episode 32 of What's Tom Reading? I'm Tom, and today I'm talking about the fascinating, interesting book, The Sad Truth About Happiness, Eight Secrets for Leading the Good Life, by Dr. Gad Sad. If you're interested in learning more about this book, stay tuned and enjoy the show. So as I said today, we are talking about The Sad Truth About Happiness by Dr. Gad Sad. Welcome to the podcast. I'm sorry that it's been a little while since my last upload. I know that I say this basically every time, but I mean it this time. <laughs> um, life has been very difficult for me. I experienced a, a very deep personal tragedy recently. And so um, this is me sort of just trying to get back into uh, the normal way of things, uh, trying to get back on the horse, so to speak. So um it was very it was very fortunate i guess that i happened to be reading this book the sad truth about happiness during uh, what turned out to be one of the most difficult times in my life um and it really helps to anchor me and give me some perspective and so it's something that i wanted to talk about today um for those of you who have been uh, following along with the podcast you'll know that uh, recently i wrote a book the book is called night choir it's available at amazon.com to purchase uh it's available and on kindle uh paperback and hardback and right now i'm actually working on the audiobook you might notice that i have uh improved the audio quality of the podcast at least a little bit um that's something that i've been working on and investing in and so i have some new equipment i have some new gear i've uh really tried to learn my software a little bit better and so now i'm hoping that i'll be able to um consistently put up a more high quality production for you guys that's the goal anyway um i've been getting some feedback to the to the effect that, that yes the audio quality is improving you should notice even a, a bit of a jump in quality between this episode and the last episode because now i am talking into a fancy foam box that my microphone is in i have a pop filter all the goodies and um i like i said I, i've learned my software a little bit better um to to use an auto gate and things like that to to edit out the breathing sound so um i am trying to um make this a more high quality production for you guys if you have any other feedback, please feel free to email it to me. Again, you know, feedback about the audio quality, as well as questions, complaints, concerns, comments, yada, 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 um, about the show itself. Or if you want to suggest a, a book for me to read and then review, uh, I've begun accepting submissions for uh, books to read. I have gotten a couple of suggestions and I have read them um, and I will be doing a show on them at some future time. But for now, I just wanted to take a little while to talk about this book, The Sad Truth About Happiness. Um, it says eight secrets for leading the good life. I wouldn't say necessarily that they were um, really well packaged, like, like, you know, secret number one, do this. Secret number two, do that. It's really like kind of a, a vague sort of... Um, deeper dive into it. But if, if I let me let me start by telling you guys a little bit about the author. For those of you who don't know who Gadsat is, um, he is a very, very interesting cat. So let me just read like his bio here. Um, Dr. Gadsad, the host of the popular YouTube show, The Sad Truth, and a blogger for Psychology Today, is a professor of marketing at the John Molson School of Business at Concordia University. He held the Concordia University Research Chair in Evolutionary Behavioral Sciences and Darwinian Consumption from 2008 to 2018, and is the author of The Evolutionary Bases of Consumption, The Consuming Instinct, numerous scientific papers, and the national bestseller, The Parasitic Mind. He lives with his family in Montreal, Canada. 
Now, I read his book, The Parasitic Mind, and found it very fascinating. There was some stuff in there that I was like, eh. Um, but that's kind of to be expected when you're reading one of Dr. Sad's books, because he is just a really interesting character that I I personally really enjoy. I know that he's not really everybody's cup of tea. Unfortunately, he does seem to um, ruffle feathers and rub some people the wrong way. He is what you would probably call like sort of out of the mainstream. It's actually kind of surprising to me that he's been able to hold uh, tenure at like a, at a large university for so long because he does sort of um, fly in the face of convention, uh, conventional like political correctness and politeness. And, you know. Uh, I I want to speak to that a little bit. So the purpose of reading is to learn something new, especially if you're going to be reading something um, that's going to be like a nonfiction type of book. So the purpose of doing that is to learn something new, not to confirm what you already think about the world. So uh, I, I hear I hear a lot of people. Uh, I've known a lot of people in my life anyways, who uh, they, they only look for books that confirm exactly what they thought about the world beforehand. And that leads to just kind of like the circular thinking. And there's just so much um, out there that is, I guess you'd call it like accepted orthodoxy, like the accepted narrative. And I'll be honest with you guys. I find that just so boring. I find it so tedious. Like I get it. I get that we all have like, you know, these norms and values that are sort of like the dominant values in the culture. And like, I know what they are. I've, tried to educate myself on them so that I can, you know, at least not like step into cow pie after cow pie socially. But at the same time, you know, the, the purpose of an education and of educating yourself, especially through reading nonfiction literature is to, um, is to engage your brain in thinking that it hasn't done before and to like really get into ideas that are, you know, maybe a little bit less, um, mainstream, a little bit less, savory. Now, I'm not saying that the Dr. Sad is like a neo-Nazi or something like that. That's that's not really, you know, I'm not I'm not advocating for for reading nasty literature, but you really get the sense when you read his book that he's a sincerely good man and that he just really has sort of an offbeat character. Like he just he just sees the world differently, and that probably comes from his background. You know, he he's a Lebanese Jew, although he he goes to great lengths to explain that he's an atheist. Um, so he's not a not a religious Jew; he's a cultural Jew. But th- that the fact that he's a cultural and ethnic Jew is something that has great weight in his personal life because he, like I said, he's he's Lebanese. He he was born in Le- Lebanon, um, and he experienced a pogrom, a religious pogrom where he and his family were, were driven from the country under gunfire smuggled out in the back of a van. Um, and, and they were refugees. And so he has this sort of, um, worldview that I think it, it makes him a little bit uncomfortable for certain types. Obviously, you know, that, you know, if, if you're, if you're willing to admit, um, something with me here, then, then we can, we can proceed. If you're not willing to admit it at all, then just plug your ears and say, la, 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 But, um, victimhood is sort of a currency now. And there are a lot of people that are kind of clamoring for it. That's something that I really noticed at law school sitting among like, like, like some of the most privileged, wealthy, educated people on earth that are getting an education that's going to allow them to make a really, really good living. Even in those circumstances, you still have people like desperately competing in the oppression Olympics to try and gain some sort of like, I don't know, like credibility for like their, their, I guess what they would call like their, uh, like their lived experience or something like that. I don't know. Like I, I understand like why people do that because they, they're trying to self aggrandize, right? They're trying to say like, well, you know, look how far I've come in spite of all of the obstacles in front of me when really, you know, the, the obstacles may be a little bit overblown. It's sort of like, um, you know, back in the, the ancient days, um, the, the Roman authors, they, they had this habit of, um, 
uh, really putting down their enemies, really talking about how weak and stupid and foolish their enemies were and how Roman might was like the greatest thing ever. And Julius Caesar comes along and he writes his book. Um, I think it's just called The Works of Julius Caesar. It's very, very good. I highly recommend reading that. But he goes to great lengths in his book to talk about how awesome and amazing and strong and smart and wily and talented all of his enemies are, knowing full well that he will look even better for having conquered them. Right. And so Caesar sort of has this, like this opposite approach. Right. And that's that, you know, I, I've heard it said before that the, that the, um, the Nazis in world war two had a habit of really downplaying the strengths of the Russians and the British and the French and the Americans really talking about how lame and stupid and, and, and how the German soldier was worth 10 British soldiers or whatever, like whatever they were saying. Um, and then what ended up happening is when they started losing, the German populace was like outraged, flabbergasted, completely confused and bewildered because they had been told over and over again that their soldiers were the best soldiers in the world and that everyone else was incompetent and that they were going to like walk over everyone. Meanwhile, the British, on the other hand, they took the opposite tack, the Caesarian tact to, to say that, you know, they the Nazi war machine was the most unstoppable juggernaut that was sweeping all of Europe. And they, they told this version and it was, it was true, but they really tried to aggrandize the Germans to the point where it, it would, um, steal the populace's resolve to fight them to know so that they would know that like, we're going to have to like go to the utmost of our strength to really dig deep in order to overcome what is this giant, powerful enemy. And so, you know, I, I get that from the perspective of like the, the cesarean slash British approach to to um, uh, adversity. Right. So, so the people that are competing in the oppression Olympics, just going back to that, they like to say like, oh, yes, my life was so, so hard because, you know, insert immutable characteristic. And and so therefore, I am just a titan for overcoming that. And you should all be so impressed with me. And, you know, and the reality is they were just a regular person born in a regular place. And honestly, if you're in law school. Um, it probably means that you had at least a couple of legs up during your lifetime in order to get, you know, the good grades and the good test scores necessary in order to get into, you know, that sort of an institution. Um, so so, you know, this is something that that Dr. Sad apparently deals with with his own students at the business school. Now, the business school that I go to is excellent, and I don't really know of any whiners who would do that sort of thing. But apparently the one that he works at, there's a lot of people sort of engaging in this oppression Olympics, really trying to seem like, you know, they've had to had to go through, you know, hell in order to get where they are. And, you know, I'm not trying to downplay the struggles that individuals have because we only have the life that we have. And so, you know, even if our struggles are small, they feel big to us. And so, you know, it's, it's no wonder that people try to self-aggrandize. But here is a Lebanese Jew who survived a religious pogrom, whose family was shot at and driven from their country, who are refugees, and he refuses to be a victim. He refuses to even um, lean into that. The only time he ever brings it up is when people say how hard they've had it. And he said, oh, um, have people been shooting at you? Have you survived a pogrom and things like that? And he sort of uses it not as a way to put people down or put people in their place, but as a way to just say, like, you know, you don't actually have it so bad. There are people all over the world who have it way, way, way worse than you. And so and that's something that really resonated with me as he has. I've heard him talk before, as I've heard him discuss the different theses in this book and in other books that, that he's written that I've read. Um, he just has that sort of mentality that, like, you know, you have it a lot better. No matter how bad you think you have it, you have it a lot better than somebody does, right? So dwelling on the things that you don't have, and that's, by the way, one of the secrets to leading a good life, right? You, you, um, if you, if you choose to dwell on the negative, if you choose to dwell on all the things that you don't have, then at the end of the day, you don't really, <laughs> you, you're, 
you will actually trick your brain into thinking that you have it harder than you have it. Right. It's one of those things where, you know, if you if you uh, choose to count your blessings and really focus on the the ways that you are blessed, the things that you have that are going good in your life. You know, if you if you have your health, if you have you know a family that loves you, if you have some opportunities in front of you, if you have food to eat, if you have shelter, if you have you know, if you're not too hot in the summer and not too cold in the winter and all these other things that we just take for granted, you know, because we're worried about whatever problems we're facing, it, it helps to it helps to really remember that, you know, we still do technically live in a jungle, right? Like the, the world still is kind of a hairy place. And if, you know, it it wouldn't take long for things to go really bad if stuff stopped working, right? Like just imagine what your life would be like if the power went out for a week, right? Or if, you know, if the truck stopped running and you weren't able to get groceries, how long could you last, right? How much food storage do you personally have? I mean, I try to have some, but like, you know, uh, how much food storage do you have? How many candles do you have? How many batteries do you have? Like if the power went out and there was no way for you to get food, how quickly would your life devolve into something I'm pretty horrible, right? Like, and, and what would you even do? Have you even thought of that before? You know, so it's just obviously, you know, we work really hard to make sure that the world doesn't go that way, but it's possible. It's within the realm of possibility. And it's more importantly, it's something that other people who are alive right now experience. They, there are other people alive who experience hunger, who experience, you know, a lack of, um, uh, access to clean water and electricity and the internet and all these other things that we, you know, in our, in our luxurious lives tend to take for granted. So although, you know, you might be tempted to say like, oh, my life is so hard because this, this, and this, it's better and more mentally healthy for you to say, no, I actually have it pretty good because this, this, and this, and therefore I am in a strong position to be able to, you know, move forward, especially if you can, you know, this is something that I've been really trying to do. It's not explicitly said in Gad Said's book, although he does sort of imply it. I think he's I think his um, um, overt atheism, which is sort of obnoxious, if if I'm honest, you know, um, but that's that's my personal thing where, like, you know, he, he tries to argue for, like, the the intellectual validity of atheism. And it's just it's a circular argument, right? Like, you know, you're trying to prove a negative. It's a it's just basically a non it, I, I personally think that only unintelligent people argue for atheism over religiosity or religiosity over atheism. I think it's just I think it's just a you know, that's a that's an internal question. That's a, you know, you live your life with the faith that you have or don't have. And you can't really you can't really argue other people into accepting your premise logically, because the one side is arguing that there are unseen things that we feel that have impact on our lives. And that's obviously true. And then the other side is saying, yes, those exist, but it's just, you know, because our brains are a certain way or our culture is a certain way. It's just you're just trying to you're just trying to put different labels on real things and and it's just it's it's bleh. so um i think because the author is so staunchly insistent on being you know an atheist i think he kind of misses the boat on something here but but um i really think that a look towards your ancestors is something that is um you know turning turning your heart to your fathers and mothers and great 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 so and so uh mothers and fathers and, and really trying to you know, think about the lives that they lived, the sacrifices that they made and the things that that they accomplished in order to, so that we all could be here. Right. We are our very existence. Our very lives are the product and culmination of generation after generation of successful people. Right. No matter how you no matter how you look at it, no matter what yardstick you use to measure life and existence, you know, we we are here because our ancestors had the guts, had the grit, had the determination and had the skill necessary to 
bring children into the world, raise them up and allow those children to bring more children into the world. And so I think if you want to really anchor yourself to where you are in your life, one of the best ways to do that is to look to your ancestors. I've been doing a lot of family history recently and I found, you know, my, my, uh, a line, um, in Scotland, um, obviously, you know, I, I'm a first generation American. My father is Scottish. I was born in the UK. I lived in Scotland for part of my growing up. And so that's that's where I kind of feel my roots more acutely. Obviously, my American family, I love them very dearly, but but their um, their family history is also very well known. My my family over here has a very, uh, very well fleshed out family history. And so I know exactly who they all were. I know, you know, my my pioneer ancestors who came over from Europe and all that stuff. Like I know them and I know their names and I know everything about them. And it's great and beautiful. And I love them. But my own research um, has been on my Scottish family and looking back through them. And I found out that I am the sixth Thomas in a line of men who was deliberately named Thomas, Thomas after Thomas, after Thomas leading back into the 1700s. Right. And that is just so cool. It's so cool to me. And it really, it really has helped to shape my perspective on who I am. I named my son Thomas, right? He's the seventh. It's just, um, you know, when you, when you really feel yourself attached to your roots, attached to your family, then it, it changes the way that you look at the world around you. It really helps to put things in perspective and for you to say, okay, now I'm going to do my part to be a good link in the chain. And no matter what happens to me, no matter what sickness or adversity or um, nastiness will land on my plate, I can handle it because I've, I've got, you know, people who have come before me who have my name, they've handled it before. I've got a son after me who I need to show the ropes and, you know, so I got to handle this. I just got to deal with it and move on. So turn your turn your mind to your ancestors. That's my little advice for you today. Find out who your at least find if you don't know who your great great grandparents are. Find out. Ask someone in your family. Ask a little bit about them. Find out where they were from. Find out what they did. There are resources for that. Um, you know, family search um, ancestry dot com. There's there's a number of different resources you can use. But I, seriously, do it. It's like it's so, so good for you. Um, so, so getting back to the book here, Dr. Sad, um, Gad Sad, the Gad father, the Gad father, excuse me. <laughs> um, he has some things that he says, oh, you really have to focus on if you want to make sure you have a good life. Right. Um, he, the, one of the chapters is on ancient wisdom, um, regarding the good life. You can't really get that from modern cringy. Gosh, I don't even know how to say it, but like, you can't really get real wisdom from like pop psychology that's going around right now, like all the so-called studies that everyone's doing right now, just honestly, you know, the way that these things are funded, the way that they're reviewed, the non-replicability of almost all of them. Now you really can just basically take studies, just take every study with a grain of salt for the rest of your life. Honestly, um, you know, barriers to entry to being a professor, being a PhD, conducting these studies, the the ability to get funding is predicated on you know certain outcomes. Um, the ability to publish a study is certainly predicated on the outcomes of that study. And so, like, you're not going to get a good, fair picture of the way that things are. And you know, there's rampant data manipulation. I think the president of Stanford was just done for data manipulation and had to resign. Like, president of Stanford, right? So, like, it's just crap. Academia is sort of crap. You know, when you when you take you you have to take it one professor at a time. You have to take it one person at a time 
and explore for yourself their credibility. You can't really just say like, well, a study was conducted that found out that I, uh, a lady at the bank today, when I went to deposit a check um, for, for work, um, a lady at the bank was telling someone else about like the psychological benefit of high-fiving yourself. Right. And it's, it's this whole book called like the high five. I, I don't, I don't want to actually, never mind. I'm not going to say the name of the book. Um, because I don't want to dish on it here. I don't know anything about it except for that this this lady at the bank was like, "Oh yeah, it's so amazing. If you just high five yourself, then you know it changes everything." There's these studies that they've done, and they say if you give yourself a high five after you do something, then it's just it's just wow, it just changes your whole world. And I was like, okay, yeah, that's uh, that's baloney. You know, that's not exactly Plato. That's not exactly Socrates. And you know where you can get Plato and Socrates right from the source. And so that's what Dr. Sad says is go read ancient wisdom, read the ancient authors. The reason that we're, you know, if, if there's an ancient author that you can still get your hands on their book right now, if you can get your hands on the, on the works of someone who lived thousands of years ago, just trust that it's been vetted by countless generations of people and they've all found it valuable, right? No crap has survived from the ancient times. It's all good stuff. And so you should dig into it. Um, he also talks about uh, key life decisions uh, and mostly focuses on the right um, partner, spouse, um, and then the right job. Obviously, you know, he, he seems to think that, like, if you pick the right partner to spend your life with, um, then that's going to make every day better for you than if you pick the wrong partner, obviously. And then if you pick the, the right job, you know, that's, that suits your temperament and suits your, your dreams and your, you know, your goals then that's obviously going to be a lot better than if you're living and working in a dead end job that you hate. Uh, that seems to make sense to me. Um, he also talks about all good things in moderation, clearly saying not just all things in moderation, but like all good things. Um, and his, his point was well taken in this chapter. I really enjoyed it. Um, that like, you know, even the very good things that you can spend your life on, if you do too many of them, if you spend too much time doing uh, the good things, then, then you're, you know, you're probably not going, sorry, you spend too much time doing one good thing, then you're probably not adequately diversified um, so that you have a good life. So really, you know, focus on having hobbies, having other interests, having things that you can really sink your teeth into that are going to be, give you that variety that you need. Um, Let's see, uh, treat life like a playground. Um, Variety is the spice of life. Sometimes I would say most of the time, Um, the persistence and the anti-fragility of failure. this is something that is so important. And it just reminded me as he was talking about this, um, Gadsad is sort of in the same intellectual tradition as uh, Nassim uh, Taleb, Nicholas Nassim Taleb, I think is his name, who wrote Anti-Fragile. And they, they both have that same kind of vibe of being like anti-establishment, kind of stick it to the to the regulars um, and just like say what they want to say and to heck with the consequences. And I really personally vibe with that. I think it's so boring to read someone who's right down the line and straight laced because they don't say anything interesting. It's not interesting to say what everyone else is saying and to just agree with everyone and say, you know, I fully agree that we should do the things that we all agree that we should do. Like, ugh, how how lame is that? You know, it's so much more interesting to take someone who's subversive and interesting and a little bit blunt and a little bit rude and just like listen to them just like poop on something. I Like, I know that that sounds weird, but like, I love that so much that it's just it just makes me so happy to hear like some someone that's willing to like just kind of like shake a stick at the sacred cows of society and say that, like, you know, we we don't have to just agree with everything just because you'll get in trouble for not agreeing. Right. So like Gadsad is one of these people that he's said some things that have made him, um, you know, made him subject of a cancel culture 
uh, type mob mentality sometimes. Like, I don't want to go into too many specifics because, number one, I don't want to, like, tarnish him by by getting it wrong. But basically, he's not afraid to call a spade a spade. And if you are offended by something like that, then, you know, he's probably not going to be your best friend. Um, the idea that that for that failure is anti-fragile is something that you really have to um, you really have to embrace and it's hard. It's actually it's actually extremely difficult to do in practice because it requires you to be willing to put yourself out there and and have real genuine risk of failing and landing on your face and having people laugh at you. That's something that I don't think most people um, are comfortable with doing. And I got to tell you, like if you um, so so just for an example here, and I'm not I'm not trying to toot my own horn here by any means, because I have no horn to toot in this particular analogy. but. Um, you know, so I've started my own business here and it's been going okay. I've been able to make a decent living for a while now. And, you know, it's um it's tough economic times for what we're doing. We're in trucking transportation. And so um and, and the economy is not good in the trucking industry. In fact, you know, yellow, one of the I think like the fifth largest carrier in the United States, 14,000 power units just declared bankruptcy. So that should give you an idea of sort of where the trucking industry is at right now. So we're struggling every day that I come into work. I have fires to put out. I have problems to solve. I have things to do that are going to be make or break for my business. And um, I'm not 100% sure that I'm going to be able to do it. I'm going to do my best, but I have friends. I have uh, lots and lots of friends who I went to law school or business school with who have gone and picked for themselves jobs that have almost no personal risk to them, right? Like they're just going to go and kind of plug into an existing structure of a company that's basically too big to ever fail. And they're going to have like their salary. They're going to have their vacation time. They're going to have their bonus schedule and all that stuff. And I'm not, I'm not knocking that, you know, there's a lot of days where I wake up and I wish that I had that. Um, but, but there's really no personal risk there. And I would argue that in order for you to have a satisfying, full, complete life, you have to have some sort of personal risk, something at stake, something on the line. Because if you're just, if you're just going along, if you're just a cog in the machine, if you're just like you know, checking the boxes and doing the things that you're told to do, and you never put anything on the line, you never risk anything. I would argue that probably most people who live that life, not all, but most people who live that type of life are going to wake up one day and have regrets. They're going to say, you know, I wish I had taken a chance on that one thing, man. I wish I had started that business. I wish I had written that book. I wish that I had, you know, um, you know, really gone for that different career. I wish that I had, you know, what, whatever it is, um, eventually you're going to have regrets because you're not living up to your own potential. You're not willing to risk. And so you're not going to get anything that's special. Right. And I'm not again, I'm not trying to knock people who are choosing to have stability. You can have or like career stability. You can have risk and enjoyment and excitement by, by putting yourself out there in other aspects of your life. But you should try to find some way that, that you're at risk for failure, because um, as Dr. Sad argues, and I 100 percent agree, failure is actually really good for you. Learning how to fail, learning how to like have things go wrong, it makes you stronger. It genuinely, sincerely does make you like more robust, more strong. And then when something wrong happens the next time, you're a little bit better able to deal with it. And you're you're more able to see things coming down the line. You're more able to be, you know, have good predictive abilities. You're more likely to um, be able to, I mean, you're not going to be able to live a life without tragedy. That's, that's something that's become abundantly clear to me personally over the last um, little while. You're going to, you're going to have personal tragedy and um, it's just, it's just a matter of time for you. And so if you have lived an entirely sheltered life with no risk, 
no downside, no failure, no problems at all. And then those things come along. They're going to wipe you out. They're going to wipe the floor with you. And we have every reason to suspect that we might be going into some very difficult, tumultuous economic times coming up right now. And there are a lot of people who think that they have these stable you know, career jobs, that those jobs are, are not going to be there for some people. Like some people are going to be laid off. Some people are going to like have to start from square one. And if you don't know how to do that, if you've never failed before, if you've never put yourself in the position to have to be dynamic and and um, and problem solve and, and come back from a failure, then you're going to be way worse off than somebody else. So failure and putting yourself in a position to fail and being willing to fail and then get back up and keep trying again, um, that sort of inoculates you to the trials and tribulations that come along with just being a human being, a living person. Right. So put yourself in a position where you can and might fail. And the greater the risk of failing, the the more I mean, the higher the high will be when you succeed. Right. And, and that's that's something that you really can't quantify um, that, that I can't. Again, I'm like I said, I'm not trying to toot my own horn here, but like there have been moments in my professional career where I'm I'm sitting at the helm of a business that I started working with people that 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 I love. Um, you know, the, because, because of this business that I started, there are, um, you know, I'm not going to say the number of families, but there, there are dozens of people, uh, and families who are now relying on what I have done for their paycheck, for their livelihood. And I get, I mean, I get a little bit emotional when I, when I talk about this because, um, you know, I come into work every day and I really have to have to succeed so that these people can continue to put a roof over their head. and having that weight of responsibility, that burden. Um, yes, it's a burden and yes, it stresses me out. And I have lost sleep and I have gained weight and I have, you know, had years shaved off of my life. Most likely I have heartburn and all the other things that come along with being, you know, an entrepreneur. But the the other side of that is that like, I get to have a genuine satisfaction knowing that like I am worth exactly what I'm making. Right. Like I know I can tell you down to the penny what my efforts over the last couple of months have been worth. And that's something that that, you know, not just monetarily, but I can also tell you, like, there's these people that have their lives and their livelihoods kind of tied into what, with what we're doing here. And it's it's so satisfying. It's so raw and real and intense and beautiful. And the the downside to that is that, yes, there's a lot of risk. And if things go badly, then I will be so ashamed and embarrassed and, and I will have so much regret, um, especially for the people who are counting on me. Right. Um, these these employees that we have. Um, the the upside of it, though, is that, you know, um, it's real and it's making something real and it's something something exists now that didn't exist before. And it's got my name on it. And it's not all me by any stretch of the imagination. I have some wonderful partners. I have some wonderful employees. It's, it's all, you know, I, I give full credit out where it's due. But I'm just saying um, I have never, ever regretted putting myself in a position to fail at this business. I've never regretted putting myself in a position to fail at, you know, producing this podcast. I've never regretted putting myself in a position to fail writing my book. Right. Um, you know, all these things that I that I've tried to kind of put myself out there on they i mean they have all they've all failed to varying degrees right none of them has been the meteoric success that i dreamed it would be but at the same time you know i have genuine joy that comes from recording this podcast i have genuine joy that comes from writing my book i have genuine joy that comes from coming into work every day and doing work that is satisfying and important and that people rely on me to do and so 
put yourself in a position where you might fail, where the stakes are high, where there are people counting on you and where like there's a non-zero percent chance that you fall flat on your face because that is really living. Anything else I think is probably just not not living life to the fullest. And that's maybe that's just my personal, you know, um, risk taking behavior or whatever. But Dr. Sad argues that you really have to kind of put yourself out there in order to in order to be successful. Uh, and that that kind of goes down to chapter eight, where he talks about it's almost never too late. So this is how you eradicate regret. And basically, you know, he talks about how he was uh, he was a great soccer player as a kid and then he was injured. And then, you know, he he thought that maybe he would be able to be a professional, um, but that it didn't work out because he had some career ending injury. And then so he decided to go this different way and become uh, a world famous uh, business school professor, which is, you know, uh, that's a that's a pretty, pretty hefty consolation prize, really. But um the idea is, and this ties along with what I said about, about failure there. And it all, it, like I said, it's, it's all kind of flows together into this sort of way of being where like, just don't, don't burden yourself with what other people think about you. Just stop caring because it doesn't actually matter that much. Just be yourself unapologetically. You exist for a reason and you were put on this earth for a reason. I firmly, I firmly believe um, that you were put on this earth for a reason by God in the place where you were meant to be and that you have a purpose, you have a mission, you have something that you're here to do. And so do it. Don't, don't, uh, you know, cram yourself into a box or cram yourself into a timeline or, or allow yourself to be put into somebody else's terms because that's not what you're here for. That's not what, that's not the point. Right. And it's, it's, it sounds so, uh, I guess, trite for me to say that that's not the point of life and for me to tell you what the point of life is. But I'm telling you, and I am telling you that you were not put here to be somebody's widget factory employee and to you know contribute to the stock market reasonably and then to die unobtrusively and fade away into nothing. That's not your purpose. You are not an instrument of somebody else's design. You are an end unto yourself. You belong here. You are important and you have something about you that can contribute where you are. Now, that doesn't mean that everyone's going to be a rock star. Everyone's going to be, you know, a world famous businessman like or a business uh, professor like Gad Sad or like all these other guys that you know get all the FaceTime. It does mean that you're in some way have the ability to impact and influence those around you. And, you know, you can only do that by taking life by the horns. You can really sincerely only do that by taking time out of your life to be just a little bit different. Don't be just like a generic vanilla box checking. You know, I agree with all of the orthodoxies. I agree with all of the opinions that the majority agrees with. I vote along with the majority. I think along with the majority. I believe all of the studies. I do as I'm told. I never ever buck authority ever. Like just have the guts to question something every once in a while. Have the guts to look around and say like, do these guys really know what they're talking about? Or are they just basically like me? And they're just kind of, you know, trying to wield authority for some reason, right? Um, it's okay to be disobedient as an adult. You have a right to be disobedient. I think, I think personal freedom and liberty and accomplishment requires a certain amount of disobedience, a certain amount of going against the grain, and a certain amount of uh, chutzpah to to have the uh, have the guts and ability to shake off the shackles of what confines all of us in in a way that's genuinely like in a way that's genuinely well, what am I trying to say here? 
I'm, I'm not trying to dish on anyone's way of life here, but there are, there are ways that people can say like, oh, I'm a rebel, but you're not right. You're a rebel along the approved lines or like, oh, I march to the beat of my own drum. But you don't. You march to the beat of a prescribed drum and you've just put yourself into a different category of person who acts that way. Right. Like so if you if you and like I said, I'm not talking about any specific group or, or in group of individuals here. But like if you decide that you're going to be part of a group and you start affecting all of the mannerisms and beliefs and talking points of that group. That's not you being independent and marching to the beat of your own drum. You just found a different tune to dance to. That's all. You are an individual. You are a person born into this world in circumstances that have never been before and never will be again. No person has your genetics. No person has your specific environment. Nobody, nobody. And so like if you're an identical twin, you're not going to have an identical life, right? Because you can't physically occupy the same space and time, right? So like you are an individual and that is scary. It's it's really scary to be able to say like I am in I am here alone, what I do matters and it's on my shoulders and no matter no matter how much I try to conform to this orthodoxy uh, or to you know to you know exercise my individuality through a group mentality you know you can't and you shouldn't right you should just be yourself you shouldn't talk about like all you know you shouldn't engage in the oppression olympics you shouldn't affect the you know the the mainstream mentality of whatever group you choose to be a part of you should just be yourself unapologetically and you should just you know grow where you're planted lift where you stand all that good stuff Honestly, that's the way to be happy. Just kind of shake off the expectations uh, of of society that you be obedient. And then once you've kind of freed yourself from that, liberated yourself and really become your own person, then you turn around and you go back and say, "Okay, here is how I'm going to contribute. You don't you don't. It's it's not right for you to be told how you're going to contribute to society. It's right for you to choose how you're going to contribute to society, because in so choosing, you are um, going to be selecting the way that is best aligned with your talents, with your desires, with your wishes. And if you are able to, um, like I said, unburden yourself, uncouple yourself from the expectations of, um, of others around you. And then once you've kind of solidified your personality, yourself, your dreams, your goals, your wishes, your desires, then you turn and you look back outward to your people, to your family, to your community, and to your to your country, to whatever whatever you want to devote yourself to, and whatever level you feel like you're able to devote yourself, um, once you once you are solid inside, then you look outside and decide what you're going to do, and do it with all your heart and soul. Put something good into the world. Make something unique that's never been made before. Say something that's never been said before. And I gotta tell you, in order for you to say something that's never been said before, you have to synthesize. And you can't synthesize by just regurgitating the things that you've been told. It can't be done, right? Because you know you could be the most. I, I know I know people who have dazzling educations who have who can regurgitate unbelievable quantities of knowledge and facts. I know some of the. I I personally know and I'm friends with some of the smartest people that like anywhere and, and, and like they, they should be proud of that. They should be proud of the work that they've done in order to gather this knowledge. But you know, it's, it's a different thing to have all this knowledge than it is to be able to say something that has never been said, to do something that has never been done, to synthesize the existing knowledge, the, the sum total of, you know, human endeavor in a field that you are interested in, and then to add to it something that has never been said or done before. That's something that's rare and beautiful. And that if, if you're looking for a purpose in your life and you don't really have an idea of what you want to do, then let me suggest that as something to aim at, right? 
you know, I, I read recently in some, some book, it was, it was a, uh, gosh, I can't remember the book, but it was a really cute saying, you know, I'd rather shoot for the stars and hit a stump than shoot for a stump and miss, right? Aim high, aim really high and, you know, uh, try and try and create something. Like I said, if you're looking for something to devote yourself to try and create something, say something, do something that has never been done before, go beyond. And that way you'll add to humanity right? It's, it sounds like something that's impossible or you might think like, Oh, that's, that's, you know, a little bit, you know, too high minded for me. I just want to do my thing and and live my life. It it doesn't have to be hard. All you have to do is be a mixture of two or three things that no one else is a mixture of, right? Like if you are, uh, if you are, uh, gosh, if you love to whittle and you love, you know, zoology and you love, you know, I can't even, I can't even think of a third thing. Let's just say you love woodworking and you love zoology. Well, how about you go and you carve, you know, the most lifelike, realistic beaver cross section, you know, that you possibly can that, you know, that might seem weird, but you are, would be putting something into the world that I don't even know if it exists yet. A hand carved beaver, anatomically correct beaver cross section. Like, I'm not saying that that's something that I personally want or need right now, but that would be something that that you could, you know, if you were into that sort of thing, if you could synthesize two disparate parts or of your personality, two interests you have, two resources you have available at your fingertips, if you could synthesize a few different things into something that's never been done before, then you would, you can contribute something meaningful. And, you know, like I said, the, the anatomically correct wood hand carved wooden beaver cross section might not be, you know, changing the world but it's something that's beautiful and worth doing. And it's something that only you could do if you were that person who had that specific set of abilities. So think of something that you can do. That's going to be the only you thing, some idea, something worth saying, something worth doing that you can contribute above and beyond where humanity has ever been before. Cause that's, that's the best. I think that's the best way that we can spend our lives is to move. Cause, cause by doing that, you know, it, it might not be the giant leap forward, like walking on the moon or whatever, but it is a step forward for humanity to now have an anatomically correct hand carved wooden beaver cross section just as an example. So talking about um, the secret for leading a good life, I've sort of kind of hijacked this from Dr. Sad. Um, his book is, is really good. I really I highly recommend it. He's contrarian. He's funny. He's really interesting. Obviously, you know, if you have extremely sensitive, tendy feelings, then he, he's probably going to annoy you a little bit, you know, and, and he, he annoyed me a little bit a couple of times too, like on, on, on the, uh, you know, uh, militant atheist front, as you could probably tell earlier. So like, He's he's not going to be everybody's cup of tea on everything. And I actually really I sincerely love him for that. And he's happy. He's a happy person. Whenever you see him interviewed, he's always got a smile on his face. He's cracking jokes. He's self-deprecating. He's you know, he has life figured out in some ways. And so if you want to if you want to figure yourself out and figure out your own life, maybe try picking up his book and listening to it. And then, you know, maybe try doing what I said there and finding some way that you can do something that only you can do that only you if of all the people who ever lived, only you are positioned to do this one thing. And it doesn't have to be an amazing thing. It doesn't have to be a mind blowing thing. It doesn't have to be a thing that makes you any money at all or gets you any critical acclaim or anything like that. But it's just something you're adding something to the human 
uh, to the to the collective human enterprise that has never been done before. And if everyone in the world went out and did that, just imagine the beauty and variety that would be out there rather than all of us just being consumers. We, we were, if we were all creators as well, you know, what, what a fantastic thing that would be. So um, thank you all so much for listening again. Uh, I recently wrote a book. It's called night choir. It's available at Amazon, amazon.com. Um, so far, the reviews and the feedback I've been getting have been saying that's pretty good. I have a long way to go before I'm a master, obviously. Um, and this book, if I could go back, there's a million things that I would change about it already. Um, but if you're interested in checking it out, it's a paranormal thriller sort of. I guess I, I've heard that's a little bit darker than um, than probably I intended it to be. Uh, I've been, like I said, going through a really difficult personal time right now or personal a really difficult time in my personal life right now and so there's some of that darkness i think has seeped into the work there so um you know be aware of that if you're sensitive to that sort of thing um but but you know it i i do try to make it uh you know not smut filled and not full of you know terrible language it's just got some some darker themes it's sort of like a murder mystery kind of a ghost paranormal apocalyptic sort of vibe it's hard for me to explain uh, and do it justice but go and check it out it's night choir it's available at amazon.com uh paperback kindle hardcover and soon to be available on audiobook i'll let you guys know when that drops thank you so much for listening if you want to get a hold of me you can reach me at what's tom reading at gmail.com i will look forward to getting your feedback Thank you all so much. Please take care of yourselves. And if you could, please tell your mother that you love her because you never know when that might not be an option anymore. My mother passed away this week. We had her funeral. I was able to speak at her funeral. Um, she was much too young. She she fought a, a long battle against breast cancer and, and it eventually took her life. And um, I miss her. I miss her so much. It's like having a part of your soul ripped out. And so please take the opportunity. Call your mother. Tell her you love her. Because um, someday she'll be gone. And then your entire world will be just so, so different. Anyway. On that cheerful note, um, <laughs> take care of yourselves. We'll talk to you later.